What message did the Chiefs send to the entire NFL on Thursday? How are they going to survive without Eric Berry? How did D Ford do? How did Benny Logan do? What happened with Alex Smith? There's a lot to talk about, especially, hey, by the way, the Chiefs beat the Patriots by 15 in their house. Let's talk some Chiefs, guys. Welcome to the Chief in the North podcast, the land of 10,000 takes. I am your host, Minnesota Chiefs fan. It is a good day to be a Minnesota Chiefs fan. It's a good day to be an anywhere Chiefs fan. You could be a uh, Missouri Chiefs fan, a Kansas Chiefs fan. You could be a Chiefs fan from, from I don't know, like Arrowheads Abroad. Those guys are from all over the place. You could be a Chiefs fan from anywhere, and it is a good day to be a Chiefs fan. Um... The Chiefs basically just demolished the Patriots, and yes, it was a tight game through three quarters, and then they proceeded to stomp them all over the fourth quarter and basically drink their tears in front of a national audience. It was fantastic. Better than I could have hoped. Um, it was just such a great game. I know every one of you, I'm sure, enjoyed it. If you know, certain parts probably gave you a heart attack, but it was a good game. And what made it great for me was it wasn't just a game where the Patriots played played poorly or the Chiefs got a few lucky breaks. In fact, I recently wrote an article on Arrowhead Pride that got posted. Is that that is the type of game the Chiefs normally lose? They lost the turnover battle. They gave up over 24 points. They, it's not like the, the, the special teams played kind of poorly, to be perfectly honest. Anthony Thomas had a rough day. They didn't make any huge dominating plays on special teams like you normally see in a win like that against a good team. And instead, what happened was the defense, while they gave up some yards and some points early, they clamped down late. They held Brady to an awful second half for the most part. And then in the end, just put the hammer down with and without Barry, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And it was just so impressive. In the meantime, the offense looked unstoppable, racking up 42 points against the Patriots defense, which was the number one scoring defense in the league last year. It was great. But you knew all of this already. And that is not what the Chief of the North podcast is all about. About. We're here to look a little more in depth, so we've got a lot to talk about here. I want to talk a little bit about the message to the rest of the NFL, how the Chiefs can get along without Eric Berry. I want to talk about Bob Sutton's game plan against New England, what I loved about it. I want to talk about how the corners performed, at least by my eye, with a little bit of all 22 review. Um, I want to talk about D Ford, Benny Logan, Justin Houston, the offense in general. I want to talk about Tyreek Hill. I want to talk about I want to talk about Kareem Hunt. I want to talk about Alex Smith. And if there's time. I want to talk a little bit of Eagles preview as well. And so, yeah, there's a lot going on here, guys. And so we're going to see how far we can get. Uh, my hope is that we get all the way through it because there is just so much to talk about. Again, it's a great time to be a Chiefs fan. So first things first, I want to talk about the message that got sent to the rest of the NFL on Thursday. And I mean, you could take, you know, whatever you really want from it. You can sit there, but the, 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 you could sit there and say all kinds of different things because the Chiefs had a lot of great things happen. But here's the primary thing that I took away from that win is that this Chiefs team, and we already knew this a little bit last year, but now we know it even more so, so now than ever. This Chiefs team can beat anyone anywhere, anytime, doesn't matter who the quarterback is, doesn't matter who the coach is, doesn't matter what the defense is like, doesn't matter what the offense is like, the Chiefs can beat 
anyone in any situation, and they can come back against anyone in any situation. Last year, they had the monster come back against San Diego. People could say, well, it was just San Diego. Let's see them come back against, oh, I don't know, New England in their house. And that's exactly what they did. They they took a punch. They went down early. They had that awful fumble. And I, I actually tweeted, I'm having flashbacks to the Pittsburgh game. And they came back. They kept a cool head. They kept executing. Um, credit should go to Alex in the offense and Andy Reid for executing a very calm drive after the defense stepped up huge and stopped the Patriots on fourth down. The Patriots tried to put the put the hammer down and go up 14 nothing. Instead, they got no points. Then the Chiefs drove down and scored, and suddenly it's an even ball game. And so that was just so incredible to watch them stay calm and keep playing, and they played well. They came back. So that's the primary thing that I think any team has to look at and say, wow, the Chiefs can beat anyone. But another thing is that the offense didn't look like a weakness anymore. Hey, it's one game. So we'll have to see moving forward what the offense looks like. But there was a lot of stuff out there that didn't look like a fluke. What it looked like, and we'll get into this a little bit later, we are going to, it looked like, the, the Andy Reid out coaching a brilliant defensive coach, but not only that, it looked like the mismatches that we've been screaming about with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, and now apparently Kareem Hunt paying some big dividends. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk a little bit about the defense too. I think they sent a message to the NFL. And I know you could say, well, they gave up 27 points. But the longer the game went on, the more they clamped down on the Patriots. They only gave up 10 points in the second half. And honestly, they they did about as well as you could expect against Tom Brady because him and Gronk made a few plays that were just wasn't much you could do about it. Now, the run defense... That's something we can talk about because there's one very specific problem on the run defense that I'm very concerned about. However, overall, you saw a defense that made plays down the stretch and, most importantly, on the last two drives New England had when they were desperate for anything, and they still had time for a comeback. They just they put the boot to the throat and didn't let them do anything when Sutton released the hounds at the end of the game, specifically Justin Houston, and that should, that'll be its own section, but that should be a message to the rest of the NFL. Justin Houston is back and the ease with which he racked up a pair of sacks in the fourth quarter after blowing up some plays previously being strong against the run on his side all day he looked great despite kind of a unique game plan that had me you know screaming at my tv that he was constantly dropping into coverage and he was or if he wasn't doing that he was part of a three-man rush and had three guys blocking him and so people like oh where's justin houston he's not doing anything so well he's the guy with three guys blocking him that's what happens when you got a three-man rush. You can you can double or triple team the best rusher, and that's what was happening. The the Patriots would f- end up with six guys blocking three guys. It was insane. And but then down the stretch, when he got a couple of one-on-one situations, he just ate New England's right tackle alive, and it was beautiful, guys. It was beautiful. The stab slap he had, where he just he, he just took out the 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 right tackle's left shoulder to get him off bounce, swiped aside his hands, careened right around the edge. He almost ripped the ball out of Brady's hands. It was beautiful to watch. So they, I mean, they, they sent the message that they can beat anyone at any time, that the offense looks actually dangerous this year, as in some big plays were stuck, as in if you make one mistake against Tyreek Hill and Alex Smith, you might be paying in the form of six. And that is not something we're used to saying. It used to be if you made a mistake against the Chiefs, unless Jamal Charles did something incredible, you might see a you know a 20, 30-yard gain, but that was it. Unless maybe Travis Kelsey occasionally. Now they look dangerous in the passing game, at least to enough to make you pay if you make any mistakes. 
And then finally, the defense, they played fairly well against a tough, tough offense. you got to remember, there, there were people going into this game, just regardless of Julian Edelman's presence or absence, that were saying, oh, it's not going to matter. He's just that good. Well, now everyone's saying, oh, Julian Edelman was out. It was so important. Well, Amendola went down. Let's be, let's be honest. That is not what people were saying going into it. They were saying, man, with Tom Brady and Brandon Cooks and Gronk and a good stable of running backs and a way better offensive line and then some support players, it's not going to matter that Edelman's out. Now all of a sudden, oh, everyone's concerned because the defense did a good job against him. And talking to the defense, you get the one fly in the ointment of all this, and it is a whale of a fly to swallow. Uh, Eric Berry's down with a ruptured Achilles. You've had time to adjust to it emotionally now by Monday. I've had time to adjust to it emotionally. Look, I can't sugarcoat it for you. I've had so many people ask me on Twitter, how will they replace Eric Berry schematically? Well, they won't. They can't. You can't replace Eric Berry. And that's not just some kind of like platitude. There literally is no one else in the NFL that can do everything he does. The closest two guys, maybe Cam and, and, and maybe Harrison Smith, he's just too good at too many things. You can line him up everywhere. You know, that, that fourth down stop in the first quarter, there's maybe two safeties in the league that can make that play. He lined up against Gronkowski. Rob Gronkowski, one of the best mismatches in NFL history, and he didn't shut him down completely. But he came closer than any individual player I've ever seen. He played unbelievably well, and it's such a shame because I think he was on his way to an absolutely monster year. You can't replace that guy. You just can't. Um, I will say this. I've heard people say, well, it's his leadership I'm concerned about. I, I, I know this sounds whatever. I appreciate what Eric Berry brings in that regard. I'm not as worried about that. With Derek Johnson and Justin Houston out there, I'm not worried about the leadership aspect. you also got to remember that Ron Parker and Sorensen have been there for a while now. And Marcus Peters, for as much as he can come across like a hothead, you know that he cares. You know that he's passionate. They, they, they got a, they've got a lot of veteran players on that defense. So I'm not worried about that side of things. Um, especially, like I said, Justin Houston and DJ, they've got the leadership aspect. Alex and Andy have it on offense. They'll be fine. It's, to me, the schematic. What do you do? Well, my my thoughts on this is that you're going to see Ron Parker and Danny Sorensen and Eric Murray. You're, you're going to see them. You're not going to see one guy, though, replace Barry's role. Okay, because Eric Berry played all over the field, depending on down and distance, depending on personnel, depending on matchups, depending on all sorts of things. He played everywhere, whereas none of those guys are as good at everything as Barry. And that's no knock on them. It's just no one is. Here's what I will say. In 2014, when Eric Berry was diagnosed with cancer and he had to leave the team, the team, the defense still played very well down the stretch. And Barry was still a very, very good player. Maybe not quite on the level he's reached since then because that's just how great he is. But he was still a very, very, very good player and wildly important to their defensive scheme. They had basically everything planned around his defensive capabilities. Um, but they were able to survive without him. And that year they had Parker still, and they had Hussein Abdullah and Kurt Coleman. Now, Kurt Coleman went on to, for a couple years, do really well in Carolina and had a lot of people thinking he was an elite safety. Frankly, I think that was more a schematic thing than anything else, and I think that's been exposed since then. Um, But Coleman played well for the Chiefs, and Abdullah played really well for the Chiefs. Man, me personally, 
I, I tweeted out, man, does anyone have Hussein Abdullah's number? He actually answered saying it hasn't changed since 2006. Man, I wish that guy hadn't retired because they could really use him right now because he's so versatile. He is he is the closest thing, in my opinion, to a Barry Light. Now, he's not nearly the player Barry is, but he's very good against the run and the pass. Why am I depressing myself talking about Hussein Abdullah right now? I'm going to talk about the guys who are actually there. My point is, they survived with lesser talent than... Than, than, than Barry. They've, they've done it before. Bob Sutton still had a very good defense that year because it was based around the talent in the front seven. And here's what I would say. Now they have a more talented front seven, in my opinion. They've got a better defensive line. They got Justin Houston fully back and healthy, just like he was that year. Tomba's not really what he was back in 2014, but they can make up for that in pass rush with D Ford. And, and again, to me, it starts with the defensive line is much better. I think the inside linebacker's in better shape. And the corner situation is considerably better. That year, they had Sean Smith as on one side, who, let's face it, Marcus Peters is significantly better than Sean Smith was, even at his peak in Kansas City. And then on the other side, they had a combination of Philip Gaines and Fleming and Chris Owens. Okay, that, that and here's the thing: not, no, again, nothing against those guys. The only one left is Philip Gaines, though, and he's the weak link now. Whereas with that group, he was the best player there. Um, you know, Terrence Mitchell is significantly better, and we'll talk about him in a bit, than any of that group played that year. Even Gaines, because Gaines was in and out with injuries. Although Gaines had some really good games that year, I think Mitchell is more suited to what you want to see out of Sutton. I think Steven Nelson, when he gets back, that one's kind of a blow. But when he gets back, I think he is also a guy who can really help out and play better than any of those secondary corners. So your cornerback situation is significantly better. Your your linebacker position, your defensive line especially, is way better. Your linebacker is at least the same, maybe a little better. And so you, you've got a situation that they've handled this before and been okay. What I think they're going to do schematically, I think they're going to change things up a little bit and maybe be a bit more traditional in how they use their safeties, at least with regards to Murray and Parker. Um, Parker has actually, you know, it used to be his tackling was a real liability, and I don't think he's a great tackler, but I think he's come a long ways on it. Can he provide the run support Barry can? No, no one can. But he can provide a good blitzing element. He has shown that he can he can help with run support, and he's got very, very, very good range in the in the back third of the of the defense. He's very fast, and he can cover a lot of space there. He also can line up anywhere in in, in corner, whatever you need him to do there. He's become much better at that. He's a much better player than he was in 2014, in my opinion. And that's another area where they're upgraded over what they had to replace. Barry, because Ron Parker wasn't the player he is now. Um, Sorensen, you know, Danny Sorensen, he's gotten, he's going to have a much more uh, highlighted role in that I don't think he's going to be quite as limited in what they ask him to do, but he can help and run support. You can line him up a lot of places. He's shown the ability to play the robber role. He's shown the ability to help against the the deep ball. And so I think you can line him up in a variety of places too. Eric Murray worries me more simply because he's an unknown. Um, In preseason, he had one game in particular where I thought he really struggled. Um, but I think I didn't notice him much out there, and I know he played some snaps even before Barry went down. I didn't notice him as some kind of glaring weakness, and I, you know, if anyone was going to find a glaring weakness, it'd be Tom Brady. So I think you're going to see 
him come in and probably pay, play. I mean, we'll see. It depends on how high the coaching staff is on him, which apparently they're very high on him. I think you're going to see him play a slightly more limited role, maybe not have him up at the line of scrimmage. He doesn't look like a thumper to me, but we'll have to see. All three guys, though, are versatile guys, and they're talented guys. And so I think they're going to be all right. Does it cap the, the ceiling of the defense? Yes, but they've shown they can have a very, very, very good defense without Barry before, and I think they will again. And one of the most important guys in that is actually going to be Bob Sutton, who I just need to, I need to take a drink of water. His game plan was so good. And I, like you, was freaking out at my television at Bob Sutton's game plan uh, against the Patriots. You know, he was he was <laughs> he he was rushing three and dropping eight all game, and it was driving me nuts, especially in the first half when Brady was carving it up. Um, since rewatching, what I saw is that they were basically daring. If you look at the All-22, a lot of the time, except for a busted coverage here and there, they were daring Tom Brady to beat them deep over and over and over again, make the exact type of throws that he doesn't make nearly as often. Dirty little secret of the Pats' elite offense is that Barry doesn't take a ton of deep shots. That's never really been his thing. It's in, not since, you know, Randy Moss, and that was, you know, 10 years ago, guys. Yeah, that made me feel old. Now I'm depressed. Anyway, Sutton basically asked him to, hey, you know what? We have faith in our coverage, guys. We're going to drop eight, and we're going to just flood every shallow and intermediate zone, and we're going to see if you can kill us deep. and Or we're going to see if your wide receivers can make a miraculous play, and by and large, they couldn't. Uh, Brady carved it up for a while. But inevitably, as it felt at the end, he just you, you saw him. He was standing there in pockets for four, five, six seconds. He could not find anyone open, and he started getting frustrated, and he started forcing things, and he started looking less than as sharp as we usually see. And then at the end of the game, like I said, he released the hounds. He, sent, he started sending Houston after him, and they just clamped on an offense that wasn't ready for them to ramp up the pressure like that. It was beautiful beautiful to watch and so I mean I hey I got to admit I I I didn't believe and now just I don't even know what to say I guess I need to eat crow because I was sitting there just freaking out about the game plan and now I kind of have egg on my face like everyone else that was freaking out about the game plan because at the end of the day it worked Bob Sutton is very willing to stick to his guns with a play with a with a with a play a game plan. Wow, that was rough. If I was a better editor, I'd edit that out, but I'm not going to. He took a game plan and he stuck with it, even when it was rough at first, and it paid off in the end. So kudos on him. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about the corners. Then we're going to go into some individual players like D. Ford, Benny Logan, Justin Houston, then shift gears over to the offense. So we'll be right back to do that. All right, we're back with the Chief in the North podcast, the land of 10,000 takes. We were talking about defense. Now, you can't talk about defense without talking about individual players. We can praise Bob Sutton all we want, but you need players to execute it. Marcus Peters is officially entering the no-one-wants-to-screw-with-him zone. Tom Brady targeted him one time. That is impressive. Now, I did hear a rumor floating around that Peters was, you know, following Hogan around. Um, I didn't personally chart his snaps yet, but I did speak with someone who I trust who had, and he indicated that, that Peters was the vast majority of his snaps he was playing in his usual spot at left corner. So I don't think there was any truth in that. And any time I saw throws to the other side, it wasn't Peters. So that's just something that I, I, I don't think was happening, and we'll see if I got bad information, but I I don't think I did. So Peters did his job. He effectively 
created a zone that Brady was just ignoring. So then what did Brady do? Well, early on, just like a lot of people feared, he went after Philip Gaines. Then he went after Terrence Mitchell. And both of them had some really rocky moments. Um, the difference between the two of them, I would say, is Gaines, I'm curious why they stopped going at him. I'm not sure exactly what they changed schematically. They perhaps provided a little more help for him, but not a ton. Um, he did provide some good coverage down the stretch, I thought. Um but he did not have nearly as many redemptive moments as Terrence Mitchell. Mitchell, I'm going to try to get to his film for an Arrowhead Pride breakdown. He had a lot of fans. I mean, you know, there was a tweet during the game, Matt Miller saying, hey, you know, target target Terrence Mitchell. Well, here's the problem. Because you know, he gave up a couple of, of pass interferences that, and I think he had a holding penalty too. I don't remember whether he had three or four. So things were looking really rough for him for a while. But here's the interesting thing. Down the stretch, they tried to target Terrence Mitchell. And he made some of the most clutch deflections to close out the game, including that unbelievable breakup to with the deep ball and the Patriots, I believe it was their second to last drive where Mitchell missed with his initial hand coming over the top of cooks and then swatted with his left hand. Just a, a fantastic breakup. He, I, I think I counted just, just a little in my head count without even trying to chart things, at least four passes defensed by him, whether it was by him actually slapping the ball away or by him making contact with the receiver right as the ball arrived and making the catching the ball so miserable that, he defended the pass, which that's what Terrence Mitchell does. He's very aggressive at the catch point. Now, unfortunately, that type of physical style, it giveth and it taketh away. And we saw that in the form of some penalties. Here's what I would say to that. Terrence Mitchell was matched up against his absolute worst type of matchup against the Patriots at times against Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks is one of the fastest receivers in the NFL, and he's not just fast, he's a good route runner. And that is not an ideal one for Mitchell. Because, I mean, Cooks is, I mean, he's a burner. He's faster than Sanders. He's faster than almost any receiver you're going to see not named Tyreek Hill. And that creates, that's his biggest thing is deep speed. He's got very good quickness. He's got good physicality. He's got good mirroring skills. But sprinting down the field is not where he is elite. I think he's about average there. And it got taken advantage of by Brandon Cooks a few times. And so what he did to compensate is he got grabby. And that got called. Which, honestly... I will give up a few of those. I really will. and Because you can't expect every corner to be elite. And I don't expect it with Terrence Mitchell. I'll give up a few of those if it means he makes playing against him miserable week in and week out. I think that's what he's going to do. If I'm a receiver, I hate playing against that guy. I hate playing against him because he's grabby, because he keeps hitting me, because he keep it just it just keeps going throughout the game. So we'll see where it goes from here. He had about as tough a matchup as he's going to have all year because it's the exact type of receiver that gives him problems, and he's got Tom Brady throwing at the guy. I don't think it gets tougher for him this year, much like for the Chiefs. This was supposed to be the hardest game on their schedule, and they won. And this was supposed to be Mitchell's arguably toughest matchup, and while he didn't win, he held his own and he made plays down the stretch when it mattered. And so I'm not too turned off on the corners because you've got to remember the offense and the quarterback that they were playing. I thought they acquitted themselves very well. I'm really encouraged on how they'll hold up and they'll get some reinforcements from Nelson here in a bit. It'll be interesting to see how they do against a significantly inferior Eagles wide receiver group and quarterback. Not trying to knock Carson Wentz, but he's clearly inferior to Tom Brady. So it'll be interesting to see how they do. Sticking with the defensive side of the ball, I've had a lot of people ask me about D Ford. 
Um, I haven't reviewed his snaps. I've watched him a little as I've gone back and looked. And he was he was pretty quiet. He had a few quick pressures. And then near the end of the game, he had a few more pressures that kind of helped uh, create an overall chaos atmosphere to, for Tom Brady. Rushing the passer, I think he did all right. It was, again, it was such a weird game plan for the Chiefs that it was tough to really... Uh, judge the edge rushers because they were either dropping into coverage because Ford was doing that a ton too. And for what it's worth, I like Ford dropping into coverage. He's really fluid in space. I think he might be better at it than Houston. Um, although that's saying something because Houston's very good at it. Uh, he's just a little quicker. And so, I mean, he was he would drop in space. When he had some some chances to rush the passers, say part of a four-man rush, he did just fine. He looked good from that side, which is encouraging to me. Where I'm concerned with D. Ford, and you all know where this is going, is he looked like an absolute turnstile of a run defender. Um, he, he looked like he was getting faked out by misdirections. He was get, letting the edge get away from him by either running too far upfield or just getting mauled by a tight end. Um, he did have a couple good plays when the runs went the other direction and he pursued down the line. He's gotten very good at that. He had one really great hit doing that. But overall, i got to say, if there's one area on the defense that I'm actually really worried about, oddly enough, it's not Eric Berry's injury. It's not, because I really do all the stuff we talked about earlier. I have confidence in Bob Sutton to scheme around it. And I have confidence in that secondary and that front seven's overall talent to compensate. My biggest fear is what got put on film against the Patriots was any time they ran left, unless you saw a great play from Barry or from DJ or from a defensive lineman, I mean, it just was ugly. And that is going to get looked at and exploited, especially against a team that loves to run like the Oakland Raiders. Um, that's something that concerns me deeply because they are a physical... You know, that's when I think about the Eric Berry loss, the Raiders games are the ones where I go, ugh. Because especially I'm recording Sunday, and Marshawn Lynch, from everything I'm reading, looked like himself. So that's going to be one to keep an eye on because the Chiefs' run defense looks it looked improved in a lot of respects, but when they would run at D Ford, he didn't have an answer. And he's got to figure that out. I, I I will be willing to say this right now. If he doesn't figure out run defense, I don't see them sticking with him past, you know, past his rookie deal. I just don't. I think he'll demand too much money in the open market because he can get after the passer. And I think he'll rack up some sacks again this year. But I if he can't at least be average as a run defender. And we've seen him do that before. So hopefully this New England game was just an aberration. Maybe Belichick saw in film that he might be weak and then just went after him in a very specific way. We know Belichick does that. But I'm concerned moving forward. So we'll see how he looks against the Eagles. But keep an eye on that. And speaking of run defense, we're trying to fly through these. Like I said, we got a lot to look at. Benny Logan... Looked as advertised to me. Um, he was a big part of a couple of third and short, fourth and short stops. He was a big part of the times the run defense did look good. And the best news of this all, and it was that when you saw him rushing the passer, he was one of the only guys with this, you know, this three three man rush that was getting pressure. Interestingly enough, because he would get one on one situations, and he was walking the center of the guard right back towards Brady, and that was really nice to see. Now it didn't result in a sack, and maybe only resulted in a couple plays that I would grade as pressures. But he he shrunk the pocket, he made it uncomfortable, and that helped when edge rushers started doing their thing, and it helped make Brady at least sweat it a little bit. When you've got one guy that 
that's just too big and powerful for a center to hold on to, you can crush the pocket. Interior pressure kills offenses, even if it's not great interior pressure like what you see Aaron Donald get. So that was really cool to see. That made me very happy. I'm thrilled with having Benny Logan. I wish they'd signed him for longer than they did. I think he's going to cost a lot to keep, to be perfectly honest, especially if he plays like he did against the Patriots, even though he wasn't this huge stack collector. He was really important in the game plan. One last guy to talk about on defense, and, I mean, come on. I'm going to talk about Justin Houston. Um, Anyone who is concerned about Justin Houston not being himself, not being back. And I heard plenty of you. You know who you are during that first half when they say, oh, Justin Houston's quiet. Oh, no, he's not himself. I haven't seen anything to tell me that he's not himself. And I kept saying, well, he's he's constantly in coverage. He's Or he's part of a three-man rush, and he's got a guard and a tackle and a chipping running back. I mean, they were terrified of Justin Houston. They were terrified of him all game. It was great to see. All those fears were alleviated down the stretch as Houston first got a couple of pressures, and then on on, on that those last couple drives, he just started victimizing that right tackle. And you saw that. Oh man, the 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 near safety as well. That was a play where actually Houston's initial uh, attempt to swat the hands aside of the right tackle, he actually missed with his hand fighting, which normally means you're doomed if you're a defensive edge, if you're Russian, and you miss, that means you're done. But it didn't matter. He just seamlessly went into a dip and was just too fast bending around the corner for the right tackle. It was so awesome to see. He was pass rushing with a plan, and he just... He, 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 it seemed like he knew exactly what he was doing any time he went after the tackle. It wasn't just this blind edge rush or speed rush or or inside move, whatever. It was, okay, we're doing this first. Oh, he did that, so now I'm compensating. And you saw it. His technique when combined with his physical attributes, I mean, it's just hilarious to me how good he is. And I'm very curious to see what he looks like in a game where he gets to rush for all 60 minutes because he is going to terrorize some teams. Because, again, New England has a good offensive line. They, they've played a lot better the last couple of years. And so the fact that he was able to just turn it on like the snap of a finger and bury New England's comeback attempt, that is big news. The One of the best two or three defensive players in the NFL is back, and that is such awesome news. Let's flip over and talk about offense for a bit. I... I just I was so impressed with what I saw, not just from Andy Reid, but from the offense in general. There was a lot of great execution. We're going to talk about Hunt and, and, and Alex and Hill specifically in a second. But one thing I noticed is that the blocking was very good on most plays. There were a few, you know, you're always going to get, I mean, in an NFL game with, you know, 50, 60 plays, you're always going to have a few where there's quick pressure. No one's perfect. But by and large, we saw multiple snaps where Alex had time to sit there and survey the field, and he did. And you saw they they had a few kind of complicated plays where they had to execute a few different things. And they did. They executed very, very well. They were overall just incredibly impressive. And I've been saying over the last year or so that the more I've watched them, the more I've viewed some of the Chiefs' offensive failures as 
as execution related, not scheme related or Andy Reid play calling related. That's kind of something I've changed my tune on for the last year. The more I've watched, as I've seen Andy's route combinations result in success, or I've seen like, man, if that guy had just hit that block, this would have been a big gain. You see him putting them in position to succeed. It's about execution at this point. And their execution was very, very good the vast majority of the game. And that's how you hang 42 points on the Patriots in their house. Um, and, you know, Reed, he, he coached a heck of a game. Uh, it was really interesting. I've read a bunch of interesting articles since then talking about the fact that Andy Reed essentially ran a what could best be called a weird hybrid offense of his traditional West Coast offense and a college spread offense right up to those shovel pass, technically their screens, whatever you want to call them, up the middle to Travis Kelsey, which are really multiple read option plays where Alex reads the defense during the play and then decides whether to keep it himself, hand off to the running back, or shovel it to Travis Kelsey, which that's a series of good options to have if your options are, okay, I'll either hand it off to Kareem Hunt or if the defense overplays that, I'm going to take off this way. Or if the defense overplays that, I'm going to shovel it to Travis Kelsey. Or, you know, whatever order those reads are in. They did a good job executing them for a couple of first downs. They did it with Albert Wilson, too. And so, I mean, Reed just threw things that I had never seen them do multiple times. They 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 forced busted coverages with their route combinations. I, I'll just say one particular play really summed up what a great job Andy Reed did. In this game, and that was the long touchdown hunt to or long touchdown hunt, the long touchdown throw to Kareem Hunt, um, which let's face it, the execution was beautiful. Alex delivered a ball. I think you could really say this and actually mean it. I think it would have been literally impossible to throw that ball better than Alex did down the field because I mean Hunt caught that sprinting and as was pointed out by the broadcaster, has been pointed out by a few analysts since then. If that ball, if he has to slow down at all, that's not a touchdown. And that's the difference between, you know, good execution and great execution. That's why, like, a you know, throw like that, yeah, he was open, but that was a franchise QB throw because he hit him in stride. It's a lot like the Tyreek Hill touchdown, which was an easier throw because Hill was way more open. But once again, he hit him in stride. Hill didn't have to slow down much to get it. He had to slow down barely, but to be fair, he's Tyreek Hill. That's what makes those a franchise QB throw because you don't. it doesn't just become a 50-yard gain when they get tackled. It's a touchdown because you threw it on the money. That was something I saw differently out of Alex. But I've digressed there. It wasn't just about that play, um, the execution there. What it was about is it was just brilliant. Pre-snap, they had Tyreek Hill motion around in that jet sweep action towards the right side. And that brought... The that brought McCourty, the, the the Patriots stud safety. Man, did he play well. That guy was very impressive. Maybe the Chiefs should trade for him. Goodness. Um that brought him screaming out of the secondary where he was showing like he might be single high to compensate for Hill, which identified him as actually in man coverage on Hill, and then they rotated another safety back. Well, that other safety, for one, he's not McCourty. And for two, they compensated for this. And this is the beauty of Andy Reid's offense. They compensated for the idea that they might send another safety to rotate in back there by sending Kelsey on a crosser, which pulled up the safety. And now you've got a linebacker in 
solo coverage against Kareem Hunt, taking off down the seam. And that's an action that not a lot of NFL offenses do, sending their running backs on these these deep, these goal routes from the seam, or from the seam, from the, from the backfield, especially down the middle of the field like that. And it was just, it's so crazy. I actually, I posted a GIF of it. Yeah, I'm going to keep saying GIF, not JIF. I saw that on Twitter the other day. The creator said how to pronounce it. I'm a rebel like that. But I posted a GIF of that showing that the, that the, the motion that Reed called out there, it's what created the one-on-one matchup down the field that Kareem Hunt won. And it was just a beautiful thing to watch. Andy Reed was at his best on a lot of those play calls, uh, was just manipulating the daylights out of the defense. And one of the things that you saw, and this is something that I really think should be focused on, uh, is that when you have Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill on the same field, especially the same side of the field, it forces the defense to make choices. I've had a lot of people say, well, they'll just double Kelsey and they'll double Hill, you know, problem solved. That's for one thing, that's doubling people outright is almost never done in the NFL. You bracket them. Those very different things. And here's the other problem with that. On any given play, let's say you've got some play being called where you've got, uh, you know, uh, three corners on the field. You've got two safeties on the field. So what is that? Five guys. You got four defensive linemen or three defensive linemen and three linebackers. Uh, you know, however you, however they want to do that. Or let's say they've got three safeties on the field, right? And three corners. You know, they're being they're being aggressive. So if you're if you're telling me you're going to double, quote unquote, both. Kelsey and Hill, you're talking about committing at least three of those guys unless you're going to try to double Kelsey with two linebackers, which that doesn't make sense for a variety of reasons schematically and would just basically be screaming, hey, why don't you check this into a run? So you're talking about using up multiple secondary players when you still have other players to worry about, especially now that it's been shown that linebackers can't really handle Kareem Hunt in space, in coverage. Um, Chris Conley had a quiet game, but rewatching on all 22, he got open a few times against man coverage. I think he's going to do all right. Hey, and Albert Wilson showed that if he gets completely ignored, he was catching the ball and running a little with it. And Alex was at the center of it all, making correct, quick, accurate throws. He was making the right decisions. And so that's the problem when you, you know, people say, well, out of outside of Kelsey and Hill, you know, things are kind of shallow. Well, you've got that good of playmakers. And Kelsey was quiet this game because the Patriots were focused on him. You saw that a lot of snaps. Um, And on a quick side note, yes, Kelsey needs to learn to not do stupid things, even when he's provoked. I know he was provoked by that dude. You know what? You just got to take it because refs are watching him and he needs to be smart enough to recognize that. He is going to get caught, not the jerk that's provoking him. And teams are targeting him now because they know they can get inside his head. He's got to smarten up that way. That said, he still is just almost impossible to cover one-on-one. And so teams have to do something about that. So they've got to run some variety of zone to bracket him a little bit. And then in the meantime, Tyreek Hill is too fast for any corner to keep up with. And so it's really risky leaving single high in his area, especially because you're risking a blown coverage if he just one guy makes a mistake. We saw McCourty made a mistake in a cover two, and that was six points. When you've got those two guys on the field, and it's backed up also with a strong run game, like what the Chiefs demonstrated, which was something different, a very strong run game, now the defense is kind of in a pickle because you can't 
you can't plan for everything. You can hope your your one-on-one defenders win some matchups, but you cannot you can't scheme away Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill barring selling out with multiple secondary players which leaves you open in other areas and I don't think the Chiefs are bankrupt enough in the other areas to allow them to get away with that do I wish they would have kept Macklin yes I do because I think the ceiling for this offense could be way higher than I thought of course again it's just one game so we'll see maybe the Patriots are that bad on defense um I'm going to talk about this with the Eagles preview segment in a bit, but the uh, Eagles defense is a oh, that's a tough test. Now, to be fair, the Patriots were just as good last year, but that Eagles defensive line is nasty, and so that might provide a better look at what this offense can do. But for right now, I mean, Andy Reid deserves a ton of credit, and it was just great to watch. I've already talked about Tyreek Hill a little, but I just want to mention he he ran multiple routes, he ran them well, he didn't just have the you know the one gadget play where he got open. He 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 got open on a go route where the defense just lost track of him. He also made multiple other catches, though it wasn't just the one seventy yard bomb. He made a couple of important first down grabs, including a couple where he had to make adjustments. He showed that he is a legitimate weapon in the Chiefs offense. And anyone who tells you otherwise, it they're basically worth shrugging at. Because what are you gonna do? I just I have I, I'm done arguing with people who refuse to believe what's very right in front of their eyes. Tyreek Hill did a great job, and for this game week at least, in a week where they were a defense was scheming to take away Kelsey, he made him pay. And that is what you need from him. I still think the offense revolves around Kelsey, but I think some weeks it's gonna revolve a little re- more around Tyreek Hill. Or apparently Alex Smith. We're going to take one more break, and then we're going to swing right back into it, talking about Kareem Hunt and talking about Alex Smith and previewing the Eagles game, which, like I said, that could be a tough one. So we'll be right back with the Chief in the North after this message from someone. All right, let's talk about Kareem Hunt. Basically, he's proof that I'm always right. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, I'm not always right, but I was right about Kareem Hunt. I've been saying for a while that I thought that he had star potential. Now, I kept trying to sugarcoat it and like, well, I think he'll be pretty good because you don't want to make these bold predictions because, you know, that's how you get accused of having hot takes. But I said, I kept saying, if what he did in college, his bounce and his vision, he just, he's fast enough. He's not that fast. He got run down from behind. He's not a guy who's going to be ripping off a lot of, you know, 90-yard touchdown runs. But on that pass from Alex, he was able to run away from the defense just enough. He's got a little burst. He's quick. And he just grinds for yards. So hard and unpleasant to tackle. Um, you don't break a rookie record like what he did just based on luck alone. Now, I mean, Andy Reid just put him in so many positions to succeed, and I think that's what you're going to see with him in a way that we really haven't had a chance to see. Well, no, let me take it back. We saw this with Spencer Ware to open up the season last year. Spencer Ware played really well. Now, he didn't run the ball quite as well, I don't think, because I think Hunt is a little bit better, got a little bit quicker burst getting through the holes. Even if I'm not sure he's got as good a vision as Ware, but he he's a little bit quicker, a little bit shiftier, and seems to to get from A to B a little bit better. So maybe that is vision. Who knows? We'll find out in coming weeks. And part of it, yes, the Patriots front seven, especially without High Tower, is weak. But even when they had High Tower, the Chiefs were running on them at will. They only ran them, I think it was 17 times. They could have really run the ball way more times and just annihilated them with the run. I think Hunt could have rushed for 200 yards against them without much of an issue. 
crud. Had he carried the ball another five or six times, he might have done it. And so, I mean, he just, what it really is with him, it's that combination. He's got vision. Now, he needs to work on a few things. Jeff Schwartz pointed out on Twitter that a few of these holding calls on running plays is that Hunt kept bouncing outside on inside zones. And he did that a couple times. And the problem is that puts tackles in a bad spot because they're not looking to, to, to seal the edge. And then when they realize the runner is trying to go around there, they got to try to stop the defender from getting to the edge, and that almost always leads to a hole. They don't know he's going to go that way, but they try to adapt, and it leads to a holding call. It's like when a quarterback moves to the wrong spot in the pocket, and it's different from what the play call is. You can't blame a tackle for suddenly when a guy breaks off and runs the other direction. It's like, hey, where's my rusher? Oh, he hit my quarterback. So he needs to work on that a little bit. I do think occasionally his vision isn't quite as good as it could be, but overall he does a good job finding holes and exploiting them decisively. It helped a lot that the offensive line run blocked very well. Mitch Morse was incredible. I love that man. Seriously, he is great. Anyway, you know, one day I'm going to meet that dude and it's going to be awkward. I'm going to have to be like, well, you, just so you know, it, it's, it's a bit of a shtick, Mitch, I swear. And then I'm going to give him a giant hug. It's going to be really great. I'm excited for that day. I'll have to have my wife with me so he doesn't get concerned. Anyway. Hunt, um, he showed out as a receiver. Good hands, good bounce in the open field. Um he just he showed the complete package to be a a star in the NFL and especially in Andy Reid's offense cuz Andy will constantly put him in a position to succeed and he looks like he has the talent to 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 make it work when he's put in those positions because of Tyreek Hill's existence because of Travis Kelsey's existence Hunt is going to get some opportunities and he looks like a guy that's really going to take advantage of him and he looks like he's not only he's going to take advantage of them to such an extent that I really think he's going to make defenses have a tough issue because think about this if you're the Eagles this week what are you planning for because Kelsey was kind of quiet against the Patriots but you know what he can do you saw what Tyreek Hill can do and I know Darby went down with an injury I don't know how long he's going to be out for you got to ask yourself well we don't have anyone that can cover him yeah but what we can't sell out to uh to to stop the pass because we got this this guy that ran like crazy it's a tough thing especially when you factor in the last individual player we're going to talk about Alex Smith I just got done reviewing Alex Smith's All-22, charting the snaps. It's going to be the exact same thing that I've done for years on Arrowhead Pride now, although I've added a few in-depth stats. I've taken a few away. It's going to be the same All-22 reviews every week that you saw last year, okay? And I'm excited for it, especially if they all look like this. Um, I I got to tell you, I cannot say enough good things about how well Alex played. I will say this. It wasn't as great as I've seen him played. The, the, the first three quarters of the, the, the Chiefs-Colts playoff game is still the best I've ever seen him play as an individual. Within the system and executing the offense and taking advantage of the opportunities and doing some very good things that we've been begging and screaming and pleading to see him do, that's what we saw a lot of. Um, if I were to... I, well, no, I won't even critique anything. One other thing I would say, I've heard a lot of people say, well, he wasn't that good in the first half. On my review, he had maybe three bad plays in the first half when he dropped back to pass. And the, and he also had he had a couple of great throws, and he had a couple plays where he made things happen in the first half. And so, overall, I thought he played better in the first half than he's getting credit for. I know, I, I mean, it was kind of frustrating. I, I had to make a few gifts because I had a few people point out to me some some 
other analyst was like saying certain things that Alex did. And when I went and took a look at him, I was like, well, no, that's crap. Like, you know, there was a throw to, to Albert Wilson, just this basic throw. It resulted in a short gain. It was like four or five yards. And someone said, well, well, he said that they hit him on the back hip. And then when you slow down and look at it on all 22, it's like, well, Albert started running. And then as Alex was throwing. So, yeah, it ended up hitting him on the back hip. And stuff like that is why quarterback analysis just drives me crazy because what I mostly see is people looking to confirm a bias that they have, which is what I think was happening there. Alex overall played very well in the first half outside of a few plays. Yes, the self-sack was horrible. It was just as bad when you reviewed it on film because he had the Anthony Thomas open across the middle and he had Tyreek Hill streaking down the left sideline in a position to where I'm not sure McCourty could have gotten over there in time to help. And so, I mean, that was just a bad play overall. It was compounded. Had he not slipped and tripped, then he may well have found someone or run for a first down or something. And then people would just be like, ah, I wish he would have thrown that instead of like, holy crap, this is the worst ever. Because Chiefs fans freaked out after that play. And from there on out, he was essentially lights out. He, uh, he stretched the field. He he threw guys open. That touchdown pass to Demetrius Harris was a thing of beauty if you watch it. I mean, he threw before Harris was even turned around. He threw him open, and he still protected him from getting hit. He made a lot of uh, he made a lot of adjustments at the line, killed a lot of plays. You could tell he was he was reading the defense accurately because the plays that he was calling into were almost universally successful. And so it's important to remember we can praise Andy Reid for the game plan, but when you've got your quarterback checking in and out of plays, and those plays are successful that's a quarterback you know people make gigabytes jokes about Alex Smith he's a smart guy and it was showing he was making the correct adjustments Um, one thing that I did find while I was reviewing is that the Patriots actually used a lot of the same defensive looks I mean they had different types of zones but they rushed three and dropped eight more than a few times and Alex generally picked it apart and it's just so funny to see him doing something that 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 Tom Brady couldn't do. That said, Andy Reid's offense is better designed than Belichick's, in my opinion. I know that sounds crazy, but I think it's true. Um, And I just think Alex is just a little better at, he's not better at staying in the pocket and buying time, but what he did a few times when he scrambled out of the pocket is he created fresh throwing lanes for his receivers to go to. Um, There was one in particular, uh, just a, just a quick little play that I, that I'd highlighted to show this fact where he'd run left out of the pocket because all his guys had basically run uh, uh, curls or comebacks against eight men drop back in shallow zones, and they were flooding those shallow zones. And the problem is you can't really play schoolyard ball when your zone's flooded like that and you're surrounded by defenders, and they're, 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 they're that close to you, but there's that many of them around you. It's hard for them to break open. And so ha- what he did is he broke the pocket, he changed where the defense had to flow to, and through that found an open receiver. He played very, very well. Did he play as well as the base stats indicate, I'd say pretty dang close. I mean, it wasn't a perfect day. He had that potential pick where he was looking for Hill and it went right through the hands of a of a guy that I don't think he saw because the, the, the defensive player that almost got his hands on it was behind another defensive player and a Chiefs player running a route. So I just don't think he saw the guy. Um, it's easy for us to sit there and say, oh, you almost threw it right to him. It's like, well, he was literally standing behind two giant humans. Smith just missed him. Should he have seen him pre-snap? Yes. But that 
that throw, um, you know, the deep shot that he took to Kelsey down the left sideline, had he led him down the sideline, McCourty wouldn't have been able to get his hand in there. And he made a great defensive play as it was. Kelsey made an unbelievable adjustment on the ball and almost hauled it in. But McCourty made an even more unbelievable play on the ball and knocked it away. And so, I mean, but had he instead led him, I think Kelsey had McCourty beat down the field. And that might have been, I don't know if it would have been six because that, that, that's one good safety. But, I mean, so he had a few inaccurate throws. But overall, he didn't miss too many shots. He didn't have very many happy feet snaps at all. Even the times, and it wasn't just protection, guys. It wasn't just that. It's not like he had these perfect pockets all game. Now, he had as good a protection as I've seen in a while. And I think that was part of it. But also on snaps where he had protection, he wasn't chasing ghosts. He wasn't getting happy feet too often back there. And one thing that I saw that I'm going to be writing about is I saw a lot of left-to-right full-field progressions. Well, not a lot. A lot more than I'm used to, though. I would go full games and maybe only see one of those. Now I'm start- I am I saw multiple times that against the Patriots, and it was really cool. Alex, man, I will say this. I've said the only way the Chiefs don't start Mahomes next year is if Alex plays lights out. I got to tell you, if Alex plays like this, I mean like that, the way he played in that Patriots game, if he plays like that every week, and I'm not saying scores four touchdowns, he's not going to score 64 touchdowns this year, but I mean plays that well on film, that'll make them have an interesting decision. For sure, to say the least. He was that good. And so hats off to him. I hope it's the beginning of a season where he just crushes it because that would be great to see. So we, we've covered the Patriots game. I'm not really a big game preview kind of guy, but I do want to go in just a bit to the Eagles game. Now, this the Eagles are a team that I actually had a chance to review some of their film last year, at least their defense, because I was reviewing for Benny Logan. And I just, I cannot say this strongly enough, their defensive line spooks me. They have got some talent there, and they get after quarterbacks, and they get after running backs. They are rock solid against the run, just the front four. And so this is going to be an interesting test because right now we're all really high on our offensive line's run blocking, but we can't rule out the idea that the Patriots are just pretty rough up front. And... This Philly defensive line, if they can run the ball effectively, I there's no way it'll be as effectively. I just, no way. Well, maybe. I, I don't want to say no way after what I just saw happen, but I would be very surprised. But if they can run even just effectively against that defensive line, there aren't a lot of teams that spook me run defense-wise. They are just, that. they're just a solid, they're strong, they're fast. Fletcher Cox is a monster. Now, of course, one thing with regards to their run defense is uh, <laughs> they don't have Benny Logan anymore. Um, that said, it's still a very talented defense. Got some holes in the secondary that what we're going to need to see, I think, is Alex Smith exploiting those with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And so this will be a more interesting test for the the team as the Patriots defense. And this is where we ask ourselves, I mean, because the Patriots have a lot of, they got playmakers on their defense, regardless of everyone, you know, complaining since, you know, the game ended, you know, well, maybe the Patriots just aren't as good. Happens every time. What are you going to do? But this will let us know, because again, the Patriots game was one game. Playing against the Eagles will let us know, okay, is the offense going to look amazing every week? I would be stunned if that were the case, but that would be a great surprise. But it would at least let us know if the offense still looks good, we can say, okay, that's two teams that were very good defenses last year that the offense has performed against. And it becomes a little harder to say, oh, it's just a fluke. 
And so a lot's going to ride on Alex and Andy, as always. But the the playmaker trio that they have in Hill, Kelsey, and Hunt looks like a really legitimate one, especially with the offensive line playing well and coming together. It'll be interesting to see how they handle Fletcher Cox because he's a monster. They've got some edge rushers that can do damage too. It's just a good team in general. I mean, I I was watching them, and I actually, as much as I liked Benny Logan's film, I understood after watching them why they might be willing to let him walk because they had a deep rotation too. They had multiple guys that would come on the field that played well. Um, were any of them as good as him against the run? I don't think so, except Cox uh, and Fletcher Cox. He, again, he's just a monster. He's so good. Um, but this will be a good chance for them. They'll be up against a defensive line with a superstar. And so that's what I'm excited to see. It's also going to be exciting to see what the defense does against a non-elite offense. Um, the Eagles are okay on offense, but they're not supposed to be great. And so what I'd like to see is whether Sutton still does more of this three-man, eight-drop, you know, three-man rush, eight-man drop thing. That felt like a very Brady-centric plan. Um, whereas I think you're going to see a little more because there's no sense blitzing Tom Brady. And they hardly did any of that. And the few times they did, he was throwing to the spot the blitz vacated. And that's why you don't blitz Tom Brady. I want to see what Sutton's game plan is against a second-year guy like Wentz. Um, running an offense that, let's face it, um, Peterson swiped a lot of it from Andy Reid. Um, well, at least Andy Reid from two years ago. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they dial up. I think you're going to see a little more four-man rushes, a little more pressure being bought. But it's also going to be good to really see D Ford and how he holds up in the run. So I, I just I couldn't be more thrilled with how the season has started, minus the Barry injury, which is tough. Um, I will say I'm I I'm not one of the people that says a Barry injury is one of the worst things that could happen outside of you know Marcus Peters. I do think uh, even though Barry is one of the best two players on the defense because of the nature of the position he plays, the depth at that particular spot, and the scheming that Sutton has done around safety in the past. I don't think it's as damaging as an injury to Houston. I don't think it's as damaging as an injury to Derek Johnson. I don't think it's as damaging as an injury to Marcus Peters. Um, And, you know, maybe depending on how well we see the defensive line continue to hold up, I think Benny Logan might end up being a little more indispensable just because of the issues we've seen in the past against the run. Uh, now, that all depends on Sutton and Eric Murray and Danny Sorensen stepping up. We know Ron Parker will, but whether those guys can do it is what it's all going to depend on. And we're going to know a lot more next week. And I'm just, man, I'm excited. Again, it's a good time to be a cheese fan. I really appreciate you all having a listen. Make sure to subscribe and comment and say as many good things about this podcast as humanly possible. It really does make a difference. I look forward to talking to you guys next week, hopefully celebrating another win. This has been the Chief of the North Podcast, the land of 10,000 takes, and I will talk to you guys next week.